Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Today on the podcast, we continue our celebration of Poetry Month. Launched by the Academy of American Poets in April 1996, National Poetry Month reminds the public that poets have an integral role to play in our culture and that poetry matters. Over the years, it has become the largest literary celebration in the world with tens of millions of readers, students, K through 12 teachers, librarians, booksellers, literary events, curators, publishers, families, and of course, poets making poetry's important place in our lives. We're celebrating Poetry Month with uh, a couple of very fine Kentucky poets. Marianne Worthington grew up in Knoxville and moved to southeastern Kentucky in the 90s, where she still works as a a teacher and an editor and a writer. In 2009, she co-founded Still the Journal, an online literary magazine publishing writers, artists, and musicians with ties to the Appalachian region. She received numerous awards and honors, was awarded grants from the Kentucky Foundation for Women and the Appalachian Sound Archives Fellowship at Berea College. With the noted Kentucky writer Silas House, she co-edited Piano and a Sycamore, Writing Lessons from the Appalachian Writers Workshop, a craft anthology from teachers uh, at the Appalachian Writers Workshop from the last 40 years. Her latest work is Girl Singer. And joining Marianne today is David Higdon. He's a writer living in Kentucky in Louisville. He earned his BFA from Watkins College of Art and Design and works as a creative director. His recent work is published um, or has been published in uh, a couple of journals, most recently in the Appalachian Review and in Marianne's uh, magazine, her journal, Still the Journal. And he will read uh, from his latest work, in, uh, well, not his latest work, but um, his award-winning work, um, and we'll fill you in on that. So welcome to you both. I I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and uh, shine some light on uh, poetry during uh, Poetry Month. And I'm going to go all the way back to the top and during our introduction and ask you, Marianne, why does poetry matter to you? Thanks, Bill, for having me. I'm really glad to be here with you and David. I think poetry matters to me personally because I enjoy brevity of language and I am a trained musician. And so I love the the music of poetry, the rhythm, the sound. Um, And because I was trained by good poets who helped me understand poetry and um, that's another reason why it's important to me. You weren't, um, you didn't start out a poet though, did you? You didn't start, uh, as a, uh, a youngster or maybe not even, uh, although people can't see, but they might hear some youth in David Higdon's 
uh, voice, uh, not as young as, as David as a writer, did you? No, I did not. I'm, I was a real late bloomer, Bill. Um, I didn't go to college until I was about 27. And uh, I worked after high school. And um, But when I did get to college, I was lucky that I had a teacher, a writing teacher, um, a poet, Jeff Daniel Marion. And um, he was really instrumental in helping me learn about language and learn about poetry. But really, it wasn't until we moved to Kentucky in, in 1990 that I found um, a way to write regularly because I found a writing community in Kentucky. I started taking classes at the Carnegie Center in Lexington. Um, and pretty soon, I, you know, I had this great writing community in Kentucky. So, yeah, I was a late bloomer. So, no, I didn't start out as a poet or a writer. Absolutely not. <laughs> David, why does poetry matter to you? Um, yeah, well, thank you for having me on the show, Bill. I'm very happy to be here as well. Um, for me, I come from more of a visual arts background. So I, I, my day job is as a creative director and art director. Um, and also like when I was going to college, I, I was painting and drawing. And, and to me, like poetry was kind of like just that natural extension for someone who like looks at the world around them and sees all the visuals out there. And for me, it was like, how do I kind of take this to the next level, push it past, you know, the visual implications and actually like make it words on the page. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like how it came about for me. It was kind of a natural progression. Did you find it um, challenging, uh, difficult at first, or did it uh, come natural to you? Um, you know, it's surprising because like, in honesty, I, I've only been writing poetry for like two years. So um, really, like at the start of COVID, I, I had a lot of anxieties and, you know, really needed to find some way to kind of alleviate my mental health and writing seemed to be like the solution for that. So I was getting a lot of words on the page. Um, so I mean, as I've only been writing two years, uh, you know, it's, it's actually come across pretty naturally. Um, you know, I, I still um, question a lot of my writing and there's a lot of constant revision. Um, but for the most part, yeah, the words I put on the page, I feel good about. Marianne, why do individuals write poetry? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure I can speak for anybody but myself, but um, I, uh, one of the things that I that I find poetry does for me is it, it allows me to write about things that matter to me, like my family history, um, my ancestors, and um, to try to find a way to write about them and make it relate to readers is a real challenge. And I like that challenge. And I like the challenge of putting words together so that they are visually pleasing or that they have some rhythm to them or um, that's going to um, maybe challenge a reader. So that's one of the reasons that I do it. I like the challenge of it. And often when I find myself stuck, I'll make a little pattern for myself. I'll say, okay, I'm going to do, I'm, I want to write about this thing, but I'm, I'm going to only write 14 lines and try to make it look like a sonnet. So I make those little challenges for myself to get over the, you know, that sort of block that we might have as writers where 
you have something to say, but you're you're either lazy or you don't know how to get started. So that helps me get started. I like are, the challenge of it. Yeah. Are patterns like prompts? Um, they can be. Uh, for me, you know, uh, a self-imposed pattern can be a prompt for me. Um, and when I was putting my collection together, I made some of those rules for myself. Um, you know, I'm going to write three lines, three line stanzas. And at the end of each stanza, I want to have the same vowel sound or um, or I'm going to use a particular rhythm or I'm going to shape this poem so that it, you know, looks like the thing I'm writing about. So they can be prompts. Yes. David, uh, you didn't go to school, you told us. Uh to be a poet. Uh, your, your BFA is in design. Uh, you're a painter. Who taught you or how did you learn the, the basics, the rudiments of, uh, of writing poetry? Um, <laughs> good question. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I'm still learning. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely pretty much self-taught. I mean, other than, you know, like in high school and stuff, when you take poetry classes and you read Dickinson or Walt Whitman. Um, but for me, a lot of it is just through research and, you know, and then finding, finding poets whose work I admire, like a poem will stick out to me. And then I'll, I want to dig into the rest of their work and then really kind of like dissect that work and see why I was drawn to it, see why it works for me. Um, I think about Maurice, uh, Maurice Manning's book, The Common Man, um, it, it's entirely made up of couplets. And, and you know, before I read that, I, I probably knew what a couplet was, but then to see how he made that work and how that he made that form work for him, um, that was something that was amazing to me. And I, I had to learn more about it and dissect how he how he achieved that. Marianne, to to become a a published poet and maybe a uh, a recognized uh, uh, person for their poetry, do they have to go to school? Do they have to have an MFA or, or more uh, to learn uh, some of the basics of, of writing poetry? I would say that um, my upbringing into poetry is much like David's. I don't, I didn't go to school to study poetry and, and I don't have an MFA. Um, and I know a lot of poets who don't have MFAs and and didn't study po poetry formally. And so I would echo what David just said, that you can be a poet if you're willing to do the, the work on your own, which means a lot of reading, a lot of critical thinking and dissecting um, and, and taking classes. You know, you can still you can. Um, take classes outside of the formal academy, the formal MFA programs, which are great. And, and I would be lying if I didn't say there's a part of me that wishes that I did have an MFA or could, you know, get one. I think I'm probably too old to, to fool with that now. But, <laughs> but I think that also, um, as I said before, I started taking classes in poetry writing at the Carnegie Center. And during the pandemic, 
I took classes and classes and classes. I attended readings. It's the one good thing about the pandemic is that a lot of things went to Zoom and we were a lot. I was able to participate in a lot of things I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So, no, I don't think you need formal training. I think you just need the drive and the commitment to learn, you know, how to do it. Well, let me just say that you're not too old um, at all uh, <laughs> to to uh, to go um to our underwriter to go to Spalding or any of the fine MFA programs, uh, uh, some in Kentucky, but uh, Spalding, I think, is the best program. Um, and uh, there are some wonderful poets there. And uh, I think one one thing that that Spalding uh, does for everyone besides uh, the marvelous uh, array of uh, of talent and and writing that you have to do is to, um, in a way, force you to read, read, and read some more. And mm-hmm. they believe very much in what uh, many writers will tell you. In order to be a better writer, you have to read the best writers and emulate them, uh, copy them. Uh, there, there's no uh, nothing uh, written down that says you can't... Uh, mirror someone else's work and uh, they will do that for you. So you're, you're not too old. And uh, David is the right age uh, uh, to uh, attend an MFA program, um, even a a second program. Um, Well, let's talk about your work. Um, And Marianne, your um, title, a poem and and your book, uh, first of all, it's a it's an imprint uh, from the University Press of Kentucky from their fireside section series, um, I guess is is a better word uh, series. Tell me what tell tell our listeners and myself what an, an imprint is and sure. why would the University of Kentucky want to branch out and do more than just uh, UPK normally does, and that's publish books. Sure. Um, the uh, the director of the University Press of Kentucky, Ashley Runyon, uh, approached the Heinemann Settlement School as um, a partner. And so the Fireside Industries imprint is a partnership between those two institutions. And the first um, editor of the series of Fireside Industries was um, Rebecca Gale Howell, a Kentucky poet. And now Silas House is the editor of the series. And so before they took my book, there were about four or five books already published in the series. Um, And it's a it's a. it's a variety of books. So there's been a cookbook. There's been a collection of short stories. There's been a memoir. There's been a reprint of a historical book and now a book of poetry. And so I I don't know that, um, I don't, I don't really, we'd have to ask Ashley about the reasons why she wanted uh, to establish the imprint, but it's a great thing because it brings together the literary history of the Heinemann Settlement School, which is where Lucy Furman was, James Steele was, and they were uh, important writers to the beginnings of the Appalachian literature canon and um, the great work that the press does in Lexington. So I I was delighted um, that they chose my book 
and um, and very, very grateful for the imprint. It's been a great experience for me. Marianne, I heard you say, I uh, want to ask you this. You've been to every Appalachian Writers Workshop for how long? Um, since about 1998, 98. Uh, so how many years is that? <laughs> well, that's that's approaching uh, 20 uh five or so yeah. i'd have to do, do them that's a that's a long time and you haven't missed one of those except during covid when when they didn't have it yeah right. well they yeah. did have it it was just virtual it yeah. just wasn't on campus not, not the so. same though no it's not the same so i'm yeah. looking forward to going back this summer yeah to be on campus yes david have you have you been to the appalachian writers workshop whether or not as a uh, no well, that's something that uh, I mean, that's its own MFA in, in a week's time, uh, yep. frankly. Um, that's that's a it's a wonderful experience. I hope you get a chance to to go there. But Marianne, back to your book um, uh, and and your lead poem. And, and you can uh, if you'd like to tell us about about Girl Singer and um, uh, where that where it came from and, and uh, sort of the genesis of it, how long you thought about it, the. Uh, did you do have to do any research? I think you you probably knew uh, country music pretty well uh, without having to do the research. Um, but you might have had to look up a, a name or two or a date or something like that. Tell us about Girl Singer. Um, well, I did have to do a lot of research, actually, Bill. Really? Um, Yes, I did. And I was lucky that uh, Berea College at the time had a sound archives fellowship, which I was awarded one. And so I got to spend a month in the special collections uh, library at Berea College where they have an incredible, um, an incredible collection of all kinds of documents, as well as um, you can view um movies and you can listen to recordings of um when what i was interested in was looking at early uh country music singers um the most obvious examples would be the carter family sarah and maybell but there were all kinds of other women that i didn't know all that well that i wanted to know more about one was lily may ledford another was a a woman from your part of kentucky uh cousin emmy um, who was from Glasgow and um, really? Yes. Cousin yes. Emmy. Now tell me, do you know a little bit about her? I do. She was a fireball. And I tell you <laughs> what, people, people didn't uh, corporate sponsors and corporate radio didn't like her much because she was kind of <laughs> in control of her own business and they didn't like that. She, you know, she was, um, she drove a Cadillac. She had a. She wore big diamond rings. She paid her band well, um, and she was a real fireball. Um, but yeah, she's from Glasgow. She was. That's, from that sounds like somebody from Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she uh, she uh, was really well known. Um, but you know, the funny thing is, she made her living as a radio performer, and she didn't really make any recordings until the late nineteen fifties. Uh, and by then, you know, television and, you know, she was just about over. Um, but, um, yeah, she was one of the. What was her last that, name? Um, I'm not going to be able to say it now that you've asked me. That's OK. I, I need to go. You know, I, honestly, I did not know about uh, Berea's library. Um, mm -hmm. Is that is that open to the public? 
Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, it's the wow. special collections. Yeah, yeah. You can uh, you can contact the librarians. Um, Harry Rice was sort of my mentor in that program. He knows everything about early American music, and so he was a great resource to have for help. So yeah, I did have to look up some things. Um, but the book is somewhat about those women in early country and traditional music, but it's also some poems about my family and some poems about nature and grief. So, Would you read one of those uh, or, or, or part of one? What, what, uh, and, and if you want to read Girl Singer, that's fine. If there's another one uh, about your family, that's, that's um, whatever you'd like to to read sure. that you're comfortable with that without putting you on the spot? No, it won't put me on the spot. Um, I'll read the title poem, The Girl Singer. And what I did in this poem was imagine the life of an early um, music maker who um, liked to sing murder ballads, but was also disturbed by the murder ballads and, and then became sort of out of fashion because she liked to sing the murder ballads as, as they became less popular. So if you know your murder ballads, you might hear some lyrics from those songs. So this is the girl singer. How hard it was to hold my body against defeat and come, come to be known as just a girl singer by those men who said, we're doing you a big favor, honey. Once I sang the lonely songs I loved, the A minor chord on my black Gibson hummed lonesome as a grave. I strummed right through their promises, crying, oh, the dreadful wind and the rain. On stage, I was one notch below the gap-toothed hayseed in his checkered jacket and short pants clowning around with me as his sidekick, and we'd laugh and laugh. I dug on your grave the better part of last night. Too sorrowful, they said, the bosses, heard enough about sick-hearted boys chasing aggravating beauties, poor orphan children dropping and dying in the snow. War was over, they said, be old-fashioned, but not too much. How hard it was to fetch my voice for chirpier songs. Oh, the cuckoo, she never hollers cuckoo. I wore down, I mourned the women killed in all the murder ballads I knew, bludgeoned, stabbed, drowned, floated downstream to the miller's cove. He made fiddle screws from her little finger bones. I had to quit singing our songs. Her clothes all wet and muddy, they laid her on a plank. Girl singer. Excellent. Thank you very much. David, um, you have written other uh, pieces, uh, I'm sure, since uh, The Fourth Heart. Um, you were chosen uh, the grand prize winner uh, at the uh, poetry contest at the Kentucky State Poetry Society. Who encouraged you to enter that piece and, and how did that come about and what was your competition do you have any idea how many other poets were in your category um i don't i don't know how many other poets were in the category um marianne might 
Um, I, I can say that as far as encouraging, I, I, I have like several, um, uh, my wife and my brother-in-law both encourage my writing very much. And, uh, uh, and then I have a couple close friends who I allow to read some of my work before I put it out into the wild. And uh, so, but I wasn't really familiar with Kentucky State Poetry Society. Um, but as I was researching Kentucky writers, um, you know, and kind of trying to, you know, figure out what that community is and how I fit into it, um, it, it was just something that I came across. So, and I saw that they were having the contest and um, said, sure, why not? I'll enter this. And had I had no, I did not think or, or even think that I would win the prize. I mean, I'm a fairly new writer um, when it comes to poetry. So uh, when it was selected, I was, I was thoroughly surprised. Uh, we're going to take a slight uh, pause here, uh, Daniel. Uh, let uh, da uh, David let you uh, clear your throat and uh, take a drink of water. And then on the other side of uh, our message from Spalding University, I ask you to read the fourth heart sound. Uh, we'll be right back after this uh, word from our great friends at Spalding University. At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, or writing for TV, screen, and stage. Stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies, or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. And now David Higdon and his poem uh, won the state contest, the grand prize winner, the fourth heart sound. Yeah, and if I can set this up just a little bit, so my wife, my wife is a nursing student and uh, she's constantly studying. She has big, thick medical texts that she's looking at. And as I was writing, I was, I was really wanting to write a poem that had to deal with um, kind of the cycles of life and, and, and kind of, you know, what that is like. And she was studying, um, you know, the different sounds of the heart and those different rhythms. And uh, I think it's actually called an atrial gallop but that's the fourth heart sound, which, you know, isn't something you're supposed to have. Um, but I thought, wow, that was just, um, that's a very, uh, it's a very interesting term. And I, I wanted to kind of build off that. So I wrote this and it's in four verses, um, four lines in each verse. Um, and it's called the fourth heart sound. The first sound we learn to hear becomes the most real part of us, like catching your breath or waking from sleep, steady rivulets that pulse down interstates. Then it starts the rushing, a flooding valley, banks of steep slopes and cresting waves, blood and heat crashes with anticipation from the moment she whispers in your ear. In the late season, she is quiet and familiar, soft and sometimes sad. The sound hides alone in a room with her healthy rituals, a small island that will reconcile eventually. The fourth heart sound is black and nefarious and shallow as a lagoon. The grackles laugh in their branches. They, ha they hang heavy curtains of Spanish moss in their houses of live oak. Very nice. 
Marianne, uh, when you read that um, and saw that come across uh, in the packet of poems that you received, what did what did you hear uh, uh, David trying to say? Well, first, I would say that I, I could hear the heartbeat because David uses really subtle um, I ams in the poem. Da 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 da. And so it reminded me of a heartbeat. And so the sound was the first thing. And as David said, it helps if you can see this poem on the page because there's four stanzas and each stanza has four lines. And so I love the visually the visual scaffolding that that held the poem together. Um, but I, I what I really loved was the poet sort of taking a metaphorical stethoscope to help us witness the cycle of heartbeats as sort of a cycle of life. Um, And I just thought it was, was so clever and and so beautiful and very subtle. Um, It just spoke to me. I really enjoyed it and um, was thrilled to read it. David, what do you Think about having a live critique right there with your with your judge. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I need the encouragement. <laughs> well, it's a it's a nice piece, very unique. Um, where does a where does a poet go next for um, material? Are are you constantly writing? Are you taking notes? Do you keep a? And I'm talking to both of you. Do you keep a journal? Um, where does your inspiration come from, Marianne? Uh, yes, I, I I keep a sporadic journal, mostly a journal of ideas rather than um, a journal of daily um, this and that, like my grandmother used to keep. Um, I do that, but also um, I I try to um, I try to think about the classes that I've had and some of the prompts that I've that I've been exposed to. I also have books and books of prompts. So if I get stuck, I'll just, you know, look it up, you know, look at a prompt. Right now I'm working on uh, what's called a cento, which is a poem that's put together from the lines of other people. And I'm looking at, I'm looking to call it maybe an East Tennessee cento because I want to, uh, include a lot of um, East Tennessee speakers, not necessarily poets, but songwriters and just people I know who um, growing up. So uh, that's one of the things I'm working on. Um, I'm also working on a series of poems about illnesses um, and autoimmune diseases, which sounds weird, but my family's riddled with them and I'm trying to understand that. So um, that's kind of what I'm working on at the moment. Where do your ideas come from, David? Oh, gosh, the, the world is my oyster. <laughs> I mean, it's usually it comes from everywhere. Um, you know, most of my ideas come when I'm walking, um, whether walking my dogs or just walking around the neighborhood, um, just allowing like, you know, my mind to just kind of open up and, and, and things come to me. But I take inspiration from all kinds of sources. Um, I, I, I'm an, I read tons of fiction as well as poetry. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy watching film and, you know, there's more content out there than we've ever had in our entire lives. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to absorb it all. When uh, you're approached um, on the street uh, or at work by somebody who really doesn't know you and they say, well, what do you do, David? Do you, 
say, first of all, I'm a creative director or do you say I'm a poet? Uh, right now, I still say I'm a creative director. Um, you know, I, I, I think I uh, still fall into that trap of a li- having a little bit, bit of a imposter syndrome and, uh, you know, and just always curious, like how somebody would respond to that, to you saying that you're a poet. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do kind of like try to fit that in the conversation more now of trying to say, you know, well, I enjoy writing and I enjoy writing poetry and, uh, you know, and, and most of the time it's always met with a lot of optimism and cheerfulness. Sure. <laughs> Be proud of that. Uh, he could always wear his medal around, uh, the neighborhood. Couldn't he Marianne? That's, that's true. Yes. <laughs> well, let me share this with both of you. Um, I'm not sure you, I know Marianne knows, I believe, you know, uh, Constance Alexander. Uh, she's a, uh, a writer uh, in Western Kentucky, um, writes for the newspaper and, and has written uh, essays and uh, poetry also. Um, she uh, also works for the public station in Murray at Murray uh, State University. And they do something for Poetry Month, which is pretty unique, uh, might be the only public station that I'm aware of that uh, will, um, if you write a poem, if it's chosen and, and you record the poem, uh, so write, record, and send it to them. Uh, all the instructions are on their website. They will use that on the air uh, during National Poetry Month. And uh, again, all the instructions to um, our listeners and to you, um, uh, WKMS uh, Radio. Well, to both of you, thanks so much. It's been a, a joy. Um, I think that um, it's just almost like Black History Month. Um, every day should be poetry uh, day, uh, just like we should celebrate Black History Month every day of our lives. And um, you've helped us do that, along with a couple of other poets that we uh, uh, interviewed last week. And um, we will, uh, during the year, intersperse others, uh, writers and um, poets and authors and uh, their writing styles and uh, book reviews and all sorts of things, uh, bookish. Uh, so uh, that's a big part of the humanities and what we try to do at Kentucky Humanities. So thank you both very much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities. Think Humanities.